Starting a new series, title is Why Would God Want to Become One of Us? This is part one, and really today's lesson is about to connect and validate. And one of the things we as Christians believe that separates us from all the other religions, for the most part, is this, God became one of us. And if you grew up in the church and heard that, you didn't think anything about it. But we are used to hearing that, even if you don't go to church. I mean, you know, here in America, we hear this, especially around Christmas, that God became one of us. But the one person that can explain this best in the Bible was one of Jesus' apostles. Not just one of his apostles, but one of his inner circle of three was the Apostle John. And I believe it is best told by one who's an eyewitness to Jesus. And as John followed Jesus through the three-plus years on earth, John believed that Jesus was the Son of God. But when Jesus was crucified, it was then, well, maybe this is not the Son of God, because after all, God cannot be crucified. He can't die. But then John looked into an empty tomb three days later, and John was back to Jesus being the Son of God. And understand, John, when he wrote his gospel of Jesus, many, many years, it was many, many years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account, it already been circulated amongst the church. And I believe that John wrote his account, not to have another account, but John, I'm sure, had already read Matthew and Mark and Luke's accounts by that time, and notice they all repeated the same similar stories. That's why they're called the Synoptic Gospels. But John's content is largely more distinct. John tells stories that unveil the deity of Jesus to such an extent it blows us away. So why in the world would God want to become one of us, live as one of us, be amongst us? No one was expecting this. And listen, the Jews certainly were not expecting Messiah to be God himself, not in a million years. And especially a God that dwells amongst us and lives amongst us and is one of us. No, I mean, if Messiah was God, he certainly would never do that as God. And when we look over history and at the ancient religions, so no one was looking for God to ever come down. Everyone was looking to move up. The Pharaohs, the Caesars all looked at themselves as deity. They all wanted to move up. They all wanted to become the deified. And when Julius Caesar died, the Senate decided to deify him, move him up. And from there, all the emperors wanted to be deified. Everyone wanted to become a god because that was a cool thing. No one was expecting God to come in our direction. I mean, nobody was. So this is where Jesus tips his hand to one of the reasons why God sent him to live amongst us. It's in John 14. In verse 1, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You understand what Jesus is saying here to the disciples. Don't let your hearts be troubled. That's easy to say when you're leaving or easy to say when you said you're going to die. And once again, you are leaving us holding the bag when you leave or when you die. But here's the key. You don't want to be troubled with all this because you believe in God and also believe in me. You believe that God is always there for you no matter what. He doesn't ever leave, nor, nor does he ever die. I mean, that's the general belief of God. We believe he's all present, he's all knowing, and he's always been. And that's the general belief that they had, and we all have of God. But in, in these aspects, so then if that's the aspect that we have of God, and then he says, then also believe in me, says Jesus. So his first clue to them, we are the same. That is God and I, though I am leaving you, I'm not really leaving you. Though I will die, I told you already I'm going to rise again. But you have to think how radical that was for them to hear that. I mean, we kind of take it for granted now. I mean, we grew up with that aspect. But to say you believe in God now so believe in me, equating yourself on the same level of God. I mean, that's when a person runs away as fast as they can from a person like that. Because that would be a weirdo. You're making yourself out to look like 
you know, to be like God. And that's really ridiculous, or it's really true. It's one of those extremes, and that's the emotion that those dis- disciples must have felt in that extreme right now at that very moment when he said that. Then in verse 2, he goes on to say, And it, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. So now Jesus is talking about heaven and him going there. And in his leaving them, this is where I'm going, to prepare a place there. Don't be troubled in me leaving for this place. I'm going to heaven, and I'm, I'm preparing a place for your arrival someday. And then in verse 3, he goes on to say, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So, with my leaving and preparing you a place in heaven, I will be coming back for you. Then I will personally take you to the place that I prepared for you, because this is where I am. Wait a minute. Where you am is right here with us. That place is heaven is not where you am. You are making it look like and sound like this is where I have always been. If this is where you've always been, then who's this guy with us saying, I go and prepare a place for you and I'll come back and take you to that place. Then he goes on to say in verse four, and where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? And I love this about Jesus. He tells him, you know the way to the place I'm going. And that's when the disciples are looking back and forth at each other and shrugging their shoulders. But then Thomas speaks up for the group. We have no clue to where you are going. It sounds like heaven, and we are for sure don't know the way to that place where you are going. So we know you. We know that you are talking about heaven, but we really don't know what you are talking about. And now Jesus gives them the answer to the way to this place. Classic verse for Christians, controversial verse for non-Christians. And he goes on to say, and Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me so jesus says first off i am the way so you guys do know the way but not only the way i'm the truth and the life and then he says what is controversial to non-christians no one comes to the father except through me and like oh you narrow christians you think so arrogantly that your religion is the only religion that can get you to heaven no we didn't say it jesus said it we're just telling you what jesus said now when you trace this back to verse one You believe in God, also believe in me. He goes from equating himself to God to I am God. And it makes sense now, the where I am thing back in verse 3, because you are God. To get to heaven, you got to go through God. He says, I'm God. So if you want to go to heaven, you got to go through me. No one's going to get to heaven. Go get to the Father except through me. In verse 7, and if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. So Jesus in the affirmative says, yes, me and the father, we are the same. And if you guys really know me, then you really know the father. Thus, you do know him, the father. As a matter of fact, you have seen the father. And here's once again, the disciples are looking at each other, shrugging their shoulders. So, you know, I've never seen him, but he thinks that we we seen him. So instead of telling Jesus he's wrong and being disrespectful to him, Philip figures out a way that's not disrespectful, verse 8. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be sufficient for us. Jesus, just show us God, and that will be enough for us. We'll be so content at that point when you show us God. It will make the following you for over three years worth it all. 
you can go and leave, prepare a place for us and come and get us and take us to that place. That's great. But here's the kicker for us. Just show us the Father and nothing else really matters. It's the completeness of life. And what a what a statement that is by then. Because think about it. For that would be a completeness of life for you and I, too. If God would just appear to us, you know, just come to us. But you know what I mean? I mean, God would make himself so real to us knowing he is real. He does care for us. And he is truly, truly real. I mean, there's something about the real thing than just believing by faith that we believe seeing would get us over the hump. We're just like Philip. We're just like the disciples. Just make this really real and it's bypass this faith thing. My life spiritually will be complete. And then Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. So now you can say, show us. How can you say now show us the father? You go, you go back to verse one again. You believe in God, then also believe in me. You guys, this is as close as you will ever come to seeing what God looks like. Look at me. I am as good and as close as it gets to seeing the father. And in verse 10 says, do you not believe that I'm in the father and the father's in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. That's interesting. This is huge. What Jesus tells us that I'm not speaking and making up things I go to impress you guys. I'm not even speaking on my own authority. In other words, if you want to know what God says, then just listen to me. If you want to know what God thinks, just listen to me. If you want to know what God's perspective or attitude on this kind of person or that circumstance or your money or your career or your relationships, then just listen to me. You want to know what God would say to you or to a person that did that or thought that. If you want to know what God would say about that, then just listen to me. And that's important for us. Out. In verse 10, the last part of verse 10, it goes on to say this. But the Father who dwells in me does the work. It's the Father living in me who's doing the work. You want to know what God would do? Then watch me. You want to know what God would how God would respond, then watch me. You want to know how God, what God is up to, then watch me. Because you will never get a clue or a better clue in what God is like than with me. And so do you know why God came to this world and willing to become one of us? It was to connect and validate what God is like. You see, God wanted you and I to know him on such a personal level. He was not content to send his information. He sent himself. God was interested in you, and I'm making this personal, not just categorically that he showed up. No, more than that, to make it as personal as possible, to take away as much guesswork as he could possibly do. So instead of us having to look up and try to figure it out about God, God came into this world to connect and validate who he is to us in a very personal way. Why did I come and was willing to become one of you is so I could live amongst you so that you would not have to guess because I want you to know me. No guessing. Don't, you don't even have to even figure it out. And so Jesus didn't claim to have the best clarification of God. No, Jesus claimed to be the best clarification of God. And this is important for, for all of us to understand. I, I, have, I think, you know, sometimes as preachers, we can have the information, we can have the explanation, we can connect, you know, people to God and share those kinds of things. But then here comes Jesus. He says, look at me, watch me, listen to me, for I am the clarification. I am the explanation. I am the connection. And when you see me, you've seen the Father. My works are his works. When you hear me, you've heard from the Father. You will not get any closer to God than through me. 
And understand, we have to understand ourselves. We have this inclination of trying to understand God outside of Jesus. And we're always looking in the wrong places. And one of those places that's wrong to look into is that we look at our religious traditions as, as a place that we can know all about God. Why religious traditions are so common is because we want answers to our questions. Can I do this? Am I not to do that? Just tell me what to do, and I will be happy with that. So systems were developed that would tell people what to do and not to do, and for the most part, we really like them. But then there's the overemphasis of some parts of the Bible and a total disregard for other parts of the Bible that were not liked or didn't line up with our theology. In the very conservative churches, everything from God was no. God said no to everything you wanted to do. Then in the liberal churches, God said yes to everything you wanted to do. Religious tradition has even made its way in the political arena. Think about it back in the 50s and 60s. Everyone who was truly a Christian was a Democrat. Today, everyone who attends church and calls themselves a Christian has to be Republican. But if you were one who wanted answers to who God is, is he real? It wasn't about choosing a side and sticking to it. No, you didn't want to take a side. You wanted to know why is there crime? Why is there poverty? Why is there starvation in the world? Why doesn't God do something about suffering and malformities and hate? And war. And for the most part, these people never got an answer or is explained away. And then they're back to, well, you, you got to choose a side. You know, either you're going to be on the side of God says no to everything or God says yes to everything or whatever it may be. And you say, you know what? I don't want to choose a side. I want nothing to do with Christianity, God, or religion. You know, we've been tainted through religious traditions, our view of who God is. We have equated God to those things. And in some respects, we might be right. Yet, I believe we missed the big picture of what God wanted to communicate to us in connection, validation for why he became one of us. We have grown, you know, we kept, we're going down these rabbit trails that have elements of truth, but the longer we go down them and travel them, the further away we get. When Jesus came to be one of us, he never took sides. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. You see, when you move past Jesus, we are moving past God. If you stop short of Jesus, then you stop short of insights about God that would help you in life and further your understanding in what God wants in your life. So understand, what you learn about the Father all comes to us by way of the Son. Do you want to know all about God, the Father? Then read one of the gospel accounts of Jesus and reflect on what Jesus says and does and equate that to God.